Tonight's program is brought to you by the China Hockey Group. The CHG is a family-oriented group of ice hockey leagues, training programs, and community initiatives geared at developing ice hockey in Hong Kong and southern China. Established in 2011, the CHG is comprised of various programs for players of all levels. From the exceptional Junior Tigers program, the HKBN Island League, the Learn to Play and Learn to Skate programs, all the way up to their adult leagues, which include the SCIHL, for those looking for a fun recreational experience, and the CIHL, which is the only elite full contact adult hockey league. If you're looking for some hockey equipment, or if you even need your skates sharpened, stop by the CHG showroom in Central, an exclusive reseller of Warrior and Power equipment. For more information about their programs, check out their website at ChinaHockeyGroup.com. That's ChinaHockeyGroup.com. Hey, hockey fans. Welcome to Across the Pond, Hong Kong's first and only hockey podcast. My guest today comes from the great Canadian city, London, Ontario. He was drafted in 2004 by the Calgary Flames, went on to play 486 games in the NHL for five different teams. He's a Memorial Cup champion and one of the toughest players of his generation. Please welcome to the show, Mr. Brandon Prust. Prusty, how are you doing this morning? I'm good. How are you doing? I'm doing good, bud. Uh, you look like you're staying pretty fit there. Um, what's yeah. been going on? <laughs> How are you filling up your days? Yeah, yeah. Well, I I, uh, I opened up a gym uh, here in London, um, something that I, I kind of always wanted to do. Um, even when I played, I always, you know, I always wanted to kind of uh, get into that uh, that side of the hockey of, of, of kind of helping out, um, helping the younger generation, um, you know, kind of reach their full potential. So, um, you know, working out was, was big for me, you know, kind of growing up, I had to, I wasn't, you know, the, maybe the standout player. So I had to work hard and I had to go to training camps, uh, where I was, you know, turning heads. And so the fitness side, um, of it for, for me was, was big. Um, and you know, I, I had a lot of experiences, stuff that I know I did really well at, um, and then stuff that I wish I did differently. So it's right. something that um, you gain knowledge from your uh, from the good things and from the things uh, that you wish you did differently, and, uh, and, then, and then you kind of pass down that knowledge to the younger generation. So um, that's what I'm. We've been open for about a month, so I'm training a lot of hockey teams, uh, a lot of hockey players. Um, we also. It's also a gym for, you know, just the regular folk as well. Um, they can come in, we do classes and stuff. So that's uh, probably why I look a little more in shape. I, uh, you know, you got to look the part when you, when you have your own gym and training facility. So, uh, and it's just, you know, busy working out, you know, I jump into classes every day. Uh, you know, when you're training the hockey players, you're demonstrating a lot. So, um, you know, I, I came home last night and I was a little sore. My calf was a little sore because I was doing a lot of running and sprinting yeah. and showing the guys how to cut properly and stuff. So, um, yeah, I think that's uh, that's also helping as well. That's awesome, man. We're so lucky to have guys like you in the hockey world. If one thing I know about hockey players is they always love to give back to their communities. And, you know, I've, I, I was telling you before, I, I did come to London one time and had an amazing experience playing high school hockey there. I know what a great, what a great town it is. 
uh, as far as hockey. Uh, tell me a little bit about your experiences when you started playing out, when you started playing in, as a youngster. Yeah, I, you know, growing up in London, obviously hockey's uh, huge here. It's huge anywhere in Canada, really, but uh, London seems to be a really big, big hockey town. So basically, as soon as you can, as soon as you can walk, you start skating. Um, and then I, I didn't play really uh, like I never played triple A um, growing up. I always just played kind of inner city hockey. Um, it wasn't the most competitive hockey in, in London, but uh, um and then it was my, you know, I, w- I was obviously a pretty, pretty good player. And people were telling me you should probably try out for AAA. You know, it's my draft year to the OHL. So I, I tried out for AAA that year and I got that first cut. And um, I I was just going to go back, play inner city hockey. And uh, I ended up playing um, uh, for AA. AA coach came to me and asked me to play for them. So <clears throat> I, uh, I, I, I played and I, I had a really good year that year, but it was Pat. Oh my God, this, I, I got a cat on my back, this new cat. My girl came home. My girl came oh, home like sweet. a week ago. She went, she went to look for cats. <laughs> so she just went, I didn't, I've never been a cat guy. Look at this thing. Look at this oh thing. my gosh. What a cutie. Is that a rag doll? <laughs> huh? Is that a rag doll? Yeah, I know. Yeah. yeah. Scottish, Scottish fold. Oh, is it? Okay, gotcha. Well, I've got two cats upstairs right now, and I just got a dog three weeks ago. So you can imagine what I've been going through for the last three weeks. I have the dog. We have we have the dog, and yeah. um, So that was plenty enough. I've never been a cat guy, and then she she started going like going to see cats, and I'm like, you're not bringing a cat home. And then (laughs) she went last week, and I uh, I asked after us when she left. I said, did you get a cat? And you could tell, like, I wasn't really upset when I said that. And so she yeah. turned around and she went and got it, went back and got it and then brought it home. So that's unreal. But well, we've had yeah. two cats for like seven years and we introduced a mini beagle. Uh, we adopted yeah. a mini, a mini beagle a couple of weeks ago. And it's just been, I have a whole new respect yeah. for parents now because I've been yeah. losing a lot of sleep just with cats and a dog. So, <laughs> yeah, yeah. 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 So, so uh, uh, listen, you were talking about your path there a little bit um, yeah. before the cat jumped yeah. on your back. Um, you've had a lot of things jump on your back in your career. <laughs> and, yeah. uh, you know, everyone's path to the NHL is, is different. So I think it's really important that you share that. And, you know, yeah. it doesn't matter. It doesn't matter where you start. It always ends. It always uh, matters where you end up. Yeah. 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 Like, you know, I got, when I got cut for AAA, I just, you know, I kind of st- stayed with it. So, but I missed my OHL draft here. Um, I finally played AAA the year after, and it was like the last game of the season. Uh, the junior B team came out to watch me play, and um, they invited me to basically practice with them the rest of the season. And uh, then I played junior B the next year, and you know I had a great year there. But the, you know the London Knights kind of thought that I was uh, going the scholarship route, but I, right. I really wanted to play for them. And it was like a week before night's camp and I still hadn't got a call and my dad was golfing and, uh, he was, he, he hit his ball or some, my dad says Dale hit his ball onto his fairway and Dale said, <laughs> yeah. Dale Hunter says my dad hit it onto his fairway, but they ran yeah. into each other. And my dad said, Hey, I'm Brandon Prustad. You haven't called him yet for camp. And they said, well, we thought he was going to scholarship round. He goes, no, one wants to play for you guys. I got a call later that day, invited to camp. Um, you know, I was in, I was in great shape. Um, you know, I worked my butt off all summer and I went to camp and, um, they sent me down 
for like I went back to junior B, but then I got called up about two games into the season and I never went back, played every game, didn't miss a game since then um, after that. So um, and then played three years, uh, was drafted uh, to Calgary. And I knew once I got to the OHL, I knew it was kind of on me. I knew yeah. the, the scouts were going to see you. Um, there was no, um, you know, it's kind of, it's in your hands at that point. Sometimes when you're, when you're coming up in, in minor hockey, um, you know, it's, you just, you need the opportunity, right. You, you, and you, you might get overlooked. There's mm-hmm. a lot of things that need to happen. I mean, if my dad yeah. then wasn't golfing that day or the hunters were didn't golf that day, you know, maybe I'm never invited to camp. Right. So, um, there's a lot of things that uh, that kind of need to happen, but once I got to the OHL, I knew it was in my hands if I continued to play good and uh, do my thing. And I was drafted. I, I was 20 years old. I was drafted um, um, to Calgary in the third yeah. round. So yeah, yeah, it's a crazy story, man. Because yeah, like we said, everyone's past different, and you never know when you're going to get that opportunity. And you know, when I was doing my research on you, I, I've, we do have two things in common. We both played junior B and we both absolutely love Bill Burr. So we'll talk about yeah. that a little more. <laughs> we'll talk about that a little bit later. I, we actually saw him here in Hong Kong a number of years ago. It was uh, fantastic. I mean, yeah. Yeah. He's the first podcast I ever listened to. So he's I've been a big fan of his yeah. for a long time. Oh, yeah. Um, he's, uh, he's awesome. Um, you uh, you talked about your invite, getting the invite to London's camp and you walked into an absolute juggernaut there. Um, the London Knights at that time was just building one of the biggest and one of the most, you know, successful junior teams of all time. Um, and I want to thank uh, one of your teammates there, Robbie Shrimp, who made this interview happen. Uh, we're really fortunate to have Shrimpy here in Hong Kong, sharing his knowledge and and really, you know, he works really hard with the kids and you can tell his heart's in the right place right now. He's in a good spot. Um, things are going really well here. And, so the two, 2004 London Knights, like I said, probably the best junior team to ever walk the face of the planet, led by Corey Perry and Shrampy. You played with some with some real heavy hitters. Talk to me a little bit about that 04 team and and your experience there in London. Yeah, that was I mean, that was kind of the, the perfect storm, uh, that team coming together because, you know, we we all kind of came into that team you know, at the, at the same year, I remember our, our first year together, um, you know, we, most of them were 17. I was 18. Um, but you could just see after the, you know, that first year together, we were like, okay, this, this team's going to be good next year. And the next year we made it to, um, we made, we lost in the semifinals. We lost in the semis to, to Guelph, I think, who had a, a pretty, pretty solid team. Um, and then it was the year after that where we were just um, unstoppable. At that time, we'd had a couple years under our belt. So we were mm-hmm. basically all veterans. Um, you know, we had Shrempy, David Bull, and Perry, we had Danny Fritchie, um, you know, on defense, Mathot, Savret, yeah. uh, Dan Girardi, Brian Rodney. Like we had, uh, we had a, like you said, a juggernaut of a team. And, and guys, we all had, we all had experience, right? So, yeah. Um, we were, I think we, we, well, that year we started 31 games, um, to start the season unbeaten. And then, That's um, crazy. I think, I think we lost, uh, well, we went the last two games of the year. I wouldn't even count because everybody sat, but yeah, we, we told me the five, same thing. 
we we lost five games up to then, and then we ended up losing the, the last two games. So, um, yeah. but everybody, everybody was, everybody was sitting those last two games. So, um, yeah. When, and then playoffs, um, and Memorial cup, I think we lost three total games there. So I think we only lost 10 games basically all year, including playoffs and Memorial cup. Yeah. So yeah, it was, it was a year, obviously, I think all of us remember because that's so early in your career. So even just to start off your career um, that way is something that is so memorable and you hold on to, right. As, uh, and especially, you know, a lot of guys, uh, kids that age, they don't realize that that could be the best year of hockey you'll ever play. Right. And yeah. And that's one thing that message sometimes I like to pass down to those junior players. Cause I, you know, I don't know what the percentage is, but, um, you know, maybe a couple percent go to the NHL and have NHL yeah. careers. Um, even if you do have an NHL career, um, that year is still going to be, you know, our London Knights team this year, they got a great team. They got a chance to win it, but you feel like some kids take that, that for an advantage or they, you know, they take it for granted. Sorry. Um, yeah. and, and they shouldn't, right. Cause that's uh, something that's going to hold, you're going to hold on to for the rest of your life. And I, I think that's for sure what, what we did. Um, yeah. I know I did. I did for my Memorial Cup year. Something you always cherish. Yeah. you And you seem to be someone who really embraced your role. Um, when you were playing junior B and making that jump up to London, was there a big change in what you were doing on the ice? Yeah. Um, fighting was one of them. Yeah. <laughs> I, st- I started fighting in, in, in the OHL. I, I never fought. I never thought about fighting before. I, uh, that, that was a big, that's something that I think players have to adapt to. Um, mm-hmm. you know, when I, when I talk about David Boland, um, David Boland's, a you know, 60 goal scorer, you know, yeah. hundred, like him and Shrimpy lit up the OHL. Um, and and you know Bulls is a very very skilled player, but he went you know when playing with Chicago and you know you're playing with Patrick Kane and Taze and all those big dogs. Um, yeah, he said, you know what, I'm going to find my role as a third line center, and yeah. I'm going to shut down other top teams. I'm going to be a bit of a rat. Um, yeah. and he's still he obviously still uh, chipped in offensively. Uh, yeah, for sure. That's that's what he did, but he he found his role right. So for me. I found my role. I I knew I needed to change if, if, if I'm kind of here with another player um, and I want to get here above him, what am I going to add to my game? Right. You know, it's, you're not adding skill. You're adding basically tenacity and, you know, a, a guy that uh, never stops competing and I, I and a guy that's going to stick up for his teammates. So that really brought my stock up, um, you know, immensely. So I, I, I started fighting one of the best one of my best buddies on the team was Chris Bade my first year in for uh, the Knights. Um, and I started fighting him after practice. We just would always screw around after practice and I learned how to fight and I started just getting into fights with kind of middleweights. I started off like low uh, mm-hmm. and, I, and I was winning. And then by my second year, I was fighting all the heavyweights um, in the OHL basically. And, um, and then I was, you know, I was good at it. I was naturally, I was just naturally good at it. Um, I don't know. It's, it's, it's hard to teach. You have to have it. Cause I've tried to teach guys how to fight. I've tried to teach guys with six, 
six foot six. Uh, you know, I've tried to, I tried to teach Brian Boyle how to fight, uh, yeah. I with him in New York and, you know, he would get in a fight and I was like, okay, we got a lot of work to do, yeah. but he, you know, some people, some people have it. I just knew, I knew where punches were coming from. I knew what to do. I knew how to defend myself. It's something that I just naturally picked up and that I was naturally good at. So when I added that to my game, um, of, of being able to defend my teammates and being able to, you know, uh, change the momentum of a hockey game uh, whenever, um, I think really, really helped me out. That's really interesting because I want to know what your mentality was because I, like I said, I played a year at junior B and I played on a really crappy team and we had like four fighters on our team and I ended up having to throw them a few times and Luckily, I had a friend who was a fighter with the Mooseheads at the time, and he showed me a couple of things, just over under, and just a couple of couple of tricks. But I, I was obviously scared to death every time the opportunity was there. What were yeah. you scared? What What was your mentality going into a fight? Because like I thought it was just a, it was a blur. I I couldn't control. Yeah. I couldn't focus. Yeah, and that's one thing that's a big thing is I tell guys don't. Like, don't panic. You have to stay controlled. So that was one thing yeah. that I never, never really lost control. I was always mentally, I always knew what was going on. And I was nervous for fights for sure, especially when I was fighting big guys. But I, I was so confident in the way that I fought and how to protect myself. I was so good at that, that I was confident where, you know, I, I knew I could kind of protect myself. I, I you know, I was never going toe to toe with these guys, right? Like, you yeah. know, those fights where you're, where you're like, oh, who won that one? And you just be like, well, they both lost. Like, they both right. just beat the crap out of each yeah, other. Yeah, there was, there was no punches. Winner. There was no winner. <laughs> they both lost. So I was never really one to fight that way. I, I you know, I, I knew I wasn't the toughest, but I knew I could be the smartest um, fighter. And um, that's basically what I took, what I did. And I outsmarted guys and, and I waited for guys to make mistakes. Um, yeah. So I, as ne I was nervous because there was guys that were killers out there and guys that were just as smart as I was and just mm -hmm. as good of fighters. But um, it was definitely a control thing. I was always able to control my emotions. I would like to know what my heart rate was at going into yeah. a fight because I'm pretty sure it was pretty low. Um, mm -hmm. you know, I, I stayed calm all the time. Even when I was in trouble, I was able to regain my composure and my grip or something like that. And, um, that really helped me. And that's a big thing. Cause I see guys yeah. panic, right. And they, they're kind of swimming and they don't know what to do. And I always knew I always had a, a reset button. If I lost, I would always just go back to right here and extend my arm out and be able to kind of get that distance again. So it's, and like I said, it's a hard thing to teach. You can teach it yeah. all all you want but um sometimes it's one of those things you either have it or you don't right yeah that's so true man i mean your proof's in the pudding there um yeah you've uh before we move on from the from the nights uh you you've played for a lot of fantastic coaches in your career and what was dale what how did dale hunter treat his players and and kind of what was his how, what was his thoughts on you when you came in there and you know you you just had to work your butt off yeah, I you know for me it was easy because I the way I played uh, that's a that's a hunter style right so yeah. and and that's maybe another reason why I started sticking up for guys and and fighting because they needed that they love that that edge they like guys that they, they don't like they're old school right so yeah they like boys playing they like the it's just if you're working your butt off. I mean, you might make the odd mistake, um, but if you're working your butt off, they, they respect you. And 
Um, they obviously love that. They love that about me, right? I, I worked my butt off. I, um, you know, I, I, I did all the dirty work. So for me, yeah. it was easier for, for other players. Um, you know, I think it, it can be tough. I mean, I, I, I know Shrempy might've had a, a couple of tough times with them, but he also, you know, it also helped him in the end, right? They, they, they made him stronger and they made him a whole a more rounded player because they demand that of their players. Right. And yeah. I saw it my whole career. Tortorella was the same way. He, he loves mm-hmm. a guy like me, but he might not like, you know, him and Gabrick butted heads. Right. So oh, yeah, is one of the best players in the NHL, but yeah, if he wasn't playing, if he, if he wasn't playing hard, he wasn't as effective and, and Torts didn't like it. And he let him know. And, right. you know, they think that's kind of the hunters, how they like it. So I, I always liked those hard coaches because it was easier for me to play for them um, right. because they just, as long as I busted my ass, um, I, I could stay in their good books as long as, you know, it was when I started thinking I was better than I was and tried right. making those, you know, four foot high sauce passes cross ice or something <laughs> yeah. like that. Then they'd be like, you're sitting, what you're are sitting you doing? And I'd be like, and I'd be like, yeah, that's not my game. Let's stay to the, yeah. stay to the simple stuff and do my, yeah. do my job and, and I'll be fine. So uh, that's why I, I did like those, you know, even Michelle Terrian in Montreal, he was, you yeah. know, he was kind of an old school coach. And as long as I busted my ass, I could stay in his good grace. Yeah, it's funny you mentioned Gabrick. I haven't heard his name in a while, but man, when he was on, he was on. He was on like he was one of those guys that could take over a game in in seconds. Yeah, yeah. If he was busting, if his if he was mentally there and he was busting, you know, working and had that confidence, yeah. he was he was unstoppable. And yeah. and then that's him and Torch would maybe butt heads because sometimes he wouldn't have that. And right. Torch would be like, "Well, if you took over the game last game." Why can't you do it today? <laughs> yeah. Right? So, was um was Daryl Sutter still in Calgary when you were drafted? He was. He was the one that drafted me. Yeah. Yeah. He was the one that drafted me. So um and and Daryl was he was never my coach though. He was the GM. So he oh, never okay. coached me. I had Mike Keenan my first year. Yeah, and was, then, that's yeah. And then I had Brent Sutter uh my second year. And that was my that was when I tr- got traded to the Rangers. Yeah. Tell me a little bit about Keenan. I mean, you obviously coaches go out and they find players that, you know, kind of suit their, you know, what they want and their mentality of, of how the, how the game should be played. And it seems like you just kept getting, getting found by these guys like Sutter and Keenan and Torts and Terry and, and Hunter. It's just, is that kind of how it worked for you? Like coaches were like, I want that guy on my team. Yeah, I think, I think so. And, and Mike and I, uh, you know, we had, uh, it was, it was good. That was my first year. And, but I also had my, I missed some time because I, I broke my jaw. So I missed right. a few months. Uh, Camp Jansen kind of closed or basically elbowed me coming yeah. up, going to change, broke my jaw like in half. So I missed about three months. Then I came back and Bugard elbowed me in the head and uh, missed some more time. So I only had him uh, when then I got traded to Phoenix, but Mike Keenan was, he was good. He wasn't the same Mike iron Mike from the nineties. I don't think yeah, he, was a little a little different. Calm, he was a little more calm down. He was getting a little older. So, um, but I, I like Mike. Um, he wasn't more of an X's and O's coach. He was more of philosophy. You know, he was more, he, yeah, <laughs> I don't know. Yeah. He, but you know, you'd want to know about your family and how the home life is and you know, your mentality, mm-hmm. but X's and O's was more of the assistant coaches. Um, but 
yeah, I, I like Mike. Uh, Brent Sutter was was a, a tough coach, and I didn't really get along with him too well. Um, I was trying everything I could to kind of get in that lineup, and I was playing well, but I was kind of in and out. So, um, you know, didn't wasn't really a big fan of him. But then I got traded to New York, and I know New yeah. York. Um, uh, they really wanted me and they needed a guy like me. So, you know, even my first game, I, I got a two, five and a 10 for instigating. And yeah. I, I uh, fought, I think Brandon Siegel in, in LA. And I was a little worried that for getting that penalty, I was in the box with Avery. I was like, fuck towards not a good start. <laughs> he's like, he doesn't, he's like, he doesn't care. He's going to yeah. love that. Don't worry. Yeah, I was course. like, okay, cool. Okay. So that's yeah. awesome. And then getting traded to New York. I mean, I've, uh, I've spoken to Barry Beck, former captain of the, of the, uh, the Rangers. And he's a guy who's here in Hong Kong. He was coached, coached the national program here for a long time. He's still here. Um, he's been through a lot in his career and his life, but he always speaks so fondly of, of how he was treated in New York and, and just, you know, how fun it was to be in that city because you had a golden ticket to wherever you wanted to go. Like players from different sports hung out. Like what was, tell me a little bit about that for you. How hard was it to uh, rain? I mean, rain? How was it to, <laughs> hard was it to keep the rains in? Yeah. Oh uh, yeah. Uh, New York was my, my favorite place to play. So uh, yeah. Yeah. They, they treat their, they treat their players amazing and they still do. I still get, uh, they still reach out to do alumni stuff. Um, yeah. they're, they're very good. They're very good that way. Um, and I, when I got there, that's when I, you know, I was like, okay, I'm in the NHL. Like, this, yeah, is okay. like, this, this is the real deal. This is the, they treat you well. Hey, my parents are coming in. There's a car picking them up at the airport. Yeah. I mean, everything's set up. Hey, you need a reservation at this restaurant. That's, always booked um yeah. and it's like a three-month wait list yeah you want a reservation yeah. boom you got a you got a table um you want to go to a show you want to go to saturday night live which i actually never did i sent my buddies there a couple of times but i never went yeah um yeah and, i mean they they but yeah it was good and we had a good team we had a lot of you know a lot of guys that uh you know weren't married and were kind of yeah. single in the city so we were you know we kind of we kept it together we you know we we played we were playing good hockey i mean we we yeah. made it to the semifinals the one year we lost the jersey uh, but yeah. it's definitely i would that i mean the most fun and uh the organization just the way that they treat their players is the best i've ever been treated um and still mm -hmm. to this day yeah, it seems to be a common theme. Wheel Hub Asia is committed to building community and bringing accessibility to inline hockey players in Southeast Asia. They've just started a new program called Three Inline, which is Hong Kong's first three on three inline hockey league. Wheel Hub Asia stands for professionalism and collaboration. Four inline hockey players by inline hockey players for all your inline hockey needs head to their website at wheelhubasia.com best players you played with in new york i mean you played with hank you played with some of you know you guys had really good teams but you were also really tough um obviously the message torts was sent was getting out was was being heard uh what was uh who were the guys there that were really holding that room together um yeah i mean 
we had uh yeah we had a good we had a good solid solid group of guys we were all we were all buddies you know ryan callahan was there um right so ryan was he was our our captain he was he was good he was a, a good leader for us um we had you know brian boyle myself uh we had mike rupp um the my one year there mike rupp he was he was a good dressing guy you know girardi stall um yeah, Lundqvist, uh, you know, goalies are always kind of uh, doing their own thing. We you know, would kind of leave them, leave them yeah. alone. But we, have, my last year, we had Brad Richards. We brought in Brad Richards there, so uh, another good dressing room, dressing room guy. But we were just, you know, we were all pretty tight. Like, and and that, that's also another thing where you know you got ten guys that are kind of living alone in the city. So we we're, you know, going for dinner um every, you know pretty much every night it's like hey where are we yeah. going tonight for dinner you know yeah. and uh we're living a life I, I would say you know i would say for for those guys too that's got to be some of the most fun they've had in their their nhl career just you know you're always kind of hanging with the boys um even when you're at home it's almost like you're on the road so yeah um you know, we had a lot of fun and it brought us together and made us a good team. Um, you know, as long as, you know, we were keeping it together, we weren't, it wasn't like we were clubbing every night or something like that. And, yeah. I mean, we would, you know, if we had yeah. a Saturday night where we didn't of play course. Sunday or Monday, like, yeah. yeah, let's, let's go out. But, um, yeah. you know, yeah, we, we, we had fun though. I've asked, I think I even asked Robbie this question and I've asked it a few times. It seems like a really common theme. Like you only hear it at the end when somebody wins and they're saying like, you know, it was just, it was a special group, you know, it was just a group that, you know, everybody loved each other. We, we, you know, we hung out and blah, blah, blah. But are all the teams like that? Like every team you played for, would you look back and be like, Oh yeah, we were a great group. Like when you get to that professional level, is it like that? Um, no, not always. No. Yeah. I played on, yeah. You play on teams where you wish you were a little closer and you're kind of wondering why and like, I, but you know, yeah, it's, it's different. You're still all friends. You're still in that dressing room. Yeah. Your boys. Um, sometimes, you know, there was selfish guys on teams that kind of, you know, maybe, maybe tore the team apart a little bit. Um, and that's what the the New York team. There was no egos. Everybody, everybody just you know we made fun of each other. We all had fun, um, and uh, yeah, it was it was good. Um, but there was definitely teams that you weren't as tight as that group. Um, yeah. Like I said, it, it's hard to say, but yeah, obviously, if guys are married with kids after the rink, you go home to your family. Right. So yeah. you're not really hanging out outside the rink ever. Um, right. maybe other than, uh, other than on the road, but, um, and, but it doesn't always need to be that way. You know, it's lots of married guys that you're still close with. Right. And, uh, yeah. but the thing, that's the thing, like with New York, it was like, it felt like there was like 10 of us that were kind of all mm -hmm. always rolling together. Right. So not a, nobody had uh, girlfriends or, or wives yeah. or something. So right. uh, it was a bit of a bit of a younger team. And we were, I think that made us, that made us tighter, but um, mm -hmm. yeah, it's, it definitely, it's definitely always different. Um, yeah. Most, but most teams I was with were, we were all pretty close. Right on. Um, so the big payday comes um, I'm a Habs fan. So 
when I saw that trade happen, I knew you were exactly what the team needed. Um, they needed some grit. They needed some sandpaper in that lineup. And it was a young squad at the time. And just what you've just touched on, I don't know if it might, you can correct me if I'm wrong, but it didn't seem like a team that was super tight. There was a lot of chaos going on. Um, you know, we don't have to throw anybody under the bus, but there was, you know, a few players that might've been, you know, stirring the pot a little bit in the dressing room and things like that. So tell me about that. You get traded to Montreal. I'm sure you didn't want to leave New York. Uh, as you said, you were having the time of your life there, but here's an opportunity to go play for a pretty storied franchise. So what was that like for you? Well, I never, I wasn't traded to Montreal. I was a free agent. So I, all right. Sorry. I gave New York kind of the option to offer me right. some more, right? And people say, oh, you left for the money. It's like, well, I left for somebody that really wants me, right? So right. New York, it was like, you know, they're offering three years, six million. And I got, you know, Montreal offered me four years, 10 million. Yeah. And I was like, hey, I'll even take, just give me that extra year. I'll take four years, eight million and stay in New York because I didn't yeah. want to stay there. But, um, you know, if that love's not there, if it's not like we don't, you know, it's like, how bad do you want me? So I yeah. got this team Montreal that finished last. I think they were last in the league. Um, yeah. Close, close to maybe bottom of the league um, the, the that year. And I knew they needed a guy like me. They needed a dressing room guy. They needed someone, a team guy. They needed that, that grit, someone that's going to fight and stick up for players. So, yeah, um, I signed that. I, I, I signed that deal. And, um, you know, I, that was one of my goals was to go in there and kind of change that locker room around and, and kind of bring that, um, experience, um, those three years in New York, that experience that I gained and, um, you know, a couple playoff runs, um, and, um, you know, kind of turned into a leader in that New York dressing room. I, I wanted yeah. to bring that to Montreal and, um, I like to feel that I, I did a, a good job there. Um, you know, we made the playoffs the first year. I think it was the second year. Um, uh, we went to the semifinals. I think it was the second year we went to the semis. Um, so, you know, we, we climbed, uh, we climbed quickly. Um, and uh, we had, a, we ended up having a pretty good team and, and we had, uh, you know, some young guys coming in um, that ended up developing into pretty, uh, pretty solid players. So um, yeah, that was a good, that was uh, I mean, I love Montreal. It was a great uh, love playing for that city, love playing for that team. Um, another great organization. So um, it was good. I, I wish we could have, we could have won something there. You know, we got yeah. close to one year um, lost to my old team, the Rangers in the, in the semifinals, but uh, you know, we had a, we had a good run and, I really believe that was the, you know, if Carey Price um, doesn't get hurt that year, that, uh, you know, we, we go to the finals. So um, it was tough, but a uh, great experience for me. And, uh, you know, it was sad leaving New York that that day when I signed with Montreal on July 1st was kind of the weirdest day of my life because I was so happy. I, I was, you know, I signed this great contract. I was going to Montreal Canadiens, uh, one of the best, franchises in all the sports yeah but i was leaving new york i was leaving new york yeah. and i was leaving a lot of my friends in new york so i was so sad and so happy at the same time it was so weird i didn't know what to do i didn't know what to think i was so happy so so sad and so happy yeah. never had that I, I i remember i had so many people at my house we were up at my parents place and i had everybody was coming to visit me you know all my family all my friends everybody we were having a party and at one point i went upstairs to my bedroom 
and I was just laying on the, my bed and I was, and I was just like, Oh my God, this is overwhelming. Cause I, the feelings yeah. I had inside me, I've never experienced the, like, just crazy to be so happy and so sad at the same time is very weird. And, uh, so I'll always remember that. I'll always remember that feeling. I'm sure you'll never forget that, man. Um, so leaving a city like New York where you can kind of blend in with the crowd a little bit, maybe celebrity wise, being famous in a big city. What was, what was the difference like in Montreal? Um, yeah, Montreal, you don't blend in. There's no blending no. in there. Uh, everybody knows your business. Everybody. Yeah. Knows, I mean, you're eating breakfast, you're eating breakfast at a little diner and, uh, you know, people, people are coming up and, you know, which is good. Um, in Montreal, they definitely don't really care about your personal space. Um, yeah. they hit people want your attention. It's, uh, it's your, it's an honor for you to play for this team. We're not honored mm -hmm. to have you. It's your privilege yeah. you know, playing here. So it's a different mindset that way. Um, but, uh, you know, rightfully so they, it is, it is an honor to play for that team. Um, yeah. and play in that city and that organization. So, uh, but, yeah, everybody knows, uh, everybody knows what you're doing. Um, and then especially for my wife at the time, um, you know, she was getting pretty famous as well. So everybody definitely knew kind of, uh, you know, everything that was going on and, uh, everybody knows who you are there. Um, yeah. But, uh, so there's, yeah, there's no break in that. There's, um, uh, but it's all good. I enjoyed, I enjoyed my time there in Montreal. It was definitely, uh, some great, great playoff runs, the atmosphere there. And, and I love the city. I love uh, the food there, the restaurants. Mm -hmm. um, I was definitely very, very lucky man to play in New York and Montreal, uh, two, two great cities. Absolutely. And you, you did mention Carey Price. I did want to ask you about him is what's gone on in his career. It's just been, you know, it's been a shame to see the way it's ended for him. And the team was just, I've been wanting that team needed to build when he was healthy and it just they tried a few times and it just and then like you said yeah. he got hurt he got hurt that year um and then it seemed like all of a sudden his career was rejuvenated again a couple of years ago and then injuries again and what was he like yeah. as a team what was he like as a teammate and what was it like to play in front of a such a world-class goalie like him yeah i mean one of the one of the best guys uh i definitely ever played with um still uh still in touch with him every once in a while and uh you know it's yeah it's sad he never he never got his uh got a stanley cup um definitely deserved one and mm -hmm. i mean that's that's sports right injuries injuries are sports it happens to the best of them um and uh, unfortunately carries just the yeah, he's, he's got that lingering those lingering issues right which come with uh would come with um, those injuries and especially for goalies right if you keep making yeah. that movement um you know anything in your knees and hips is is gonna is really gonna linger on a goalie so um but definitely one of the, my favorite teammates and definitely one of my favorite goalies to play in front of um uh you know you know uh if you had a mistake, if you made a mistake, he, he still got carried behind you to yeah. bail you out. So he definitely did that for us a lot, which is, um, you know, him going down in the playoffs that year when we made that run. It hurts the team. It hurts the team in front of you because, you know, your mindset's up here, right? You're like, okay, yeah. 
we're playing this solid hockey and we got this goalie behind us. And, you know, Tukarski came in and stood on his head mm-hmm. um, and played amazing. But we didn't play as good in front of him, I don't feel, because our confidence dropped down, right? And we were yeah. and we were a little more nervous and we played a different type of hockey, which wasn't our hockey. Yeah. And so even though people say, oh, well, t- you know, Tukarski came in and played and stood on his head, which he did. Um, but our level of hockey changed when Pricer went out. And it's it's something that, you know, you try not to do and you talk about as much as possible. Okay, we don't change our game. We're, we're you know, yeah, we lost our best player, but we don't change our game. But subconsciously, everybody does. And it's something yeah. that, um, you know, really affected us. And, and I feel like that was, um, you know, our year to win it. Uh, I, I feel we had the team to do it. Um, we had all the pieces and, um, yeah, it's, uh, definitely sucks and something, you know, you always kind of think about what are the what ifs that's, that's yeah. one of the what ifs, you know? And, um, anyway, yeah, nothing you do, but Carrie, one of my, one of my good friends, one of my, one of my good buddies that I, I, you know, always uh, cherished our, our friendship together and, um, you know, he, he's a more, you know, he's a little, a little more quiet, but I always poked at him to try and get him a little out of his shell. And I was, yeah, whether it's attack him in practice and, uh, or off the ice, uh, I always liked, he was a freaking strong man. So I'd always try and get, uh, when we wrestled, I'd be like, Oh my God, this guy's a bear. <laughs> <laughs> well, to be honest, yeah. like I told you, I've, I've been a Habs fan my whole life. And there was like, probably like 2018, 2019, when you kind of saw that, I know they made that really crazy run during the, during COVID. And that was kind of like just a crazy hockey year. And I, I don't think anything went according to plan. <laughs> But like no. I, I was as a as a Carey Price fan, I was thinking, we got to trade this guy, man. Like we got to trade him now, when he's healthy, yeah. we can rebuild the team, give Carey a chance to win a Stanley Cup somewhere else. What are your thoughts on that? Because oftentimes, guys, like you know, you'll see a guy like Ray Bork at the end of his career go and win a Stanley Cup, but he didn't win it in Boston. So yeah. is that something that you kind of owe a guy, or is that kind of like? Some guys would never want to do that. Um, what are your it's, thoughts? It's on a that? tough. I don't know what happened. I don't know what transpired there. I like normally with a player like that, you would kind of ask them, "Hey, mm-hmm. do you want? Do you want us to send you something? Like, what? What do you want?" And right. Carrie might have said, I, "I don't know." Carrie might have said, "You know, I want to stay here. I don't yeah, want to. I don't want to leave." Maybe, maybe he said that. I don't know. Maybe Montreal was just like, "No, Price is our goalie for life," and yeah, we didn't trade him. I I don't know. Um, but I would say me being a, a GM and that kind of being a thought, I would, I would definitely go to them and say, what do you want? Right. Cause we yeah. can get, we can get some freaking draft picks for you yeah. for sure. Right. We can get a young yeah. player and some draft picks. So, yeah. um, that's a tough decision. And I mean, uh, again, you think about the what ifs, right. And of course. nothing you can do now. <laughs> yeah, no, it just, it's just sad for me because I love the guy and I just I think he's such a class class guy and he still is just the way he, you know he speaks out now and the things he's been going through and the, he's been really honest with the with the media and with people and yeah you know, I have a lot of admiration for guys like that so yeah, yeah it's just a yeah. shame um, so yeah. uh, before we get uh, to the to the things that you're doing now in your life um, I've been fortunate to talk to some pretty uh, some pretty tough guys. 
uh, including guys like Dennis Bombie and and like guys who can really chuck them. Who are some of your toughest fights, and and why were they why were they tough? Now, was it just size? Was it their style? Was it their tenacity? What was it? Well, if you're like kind of um, on on paper, some of the you know toughest like. Um, you know, I fought Steve McIntyre in Edmonton. Um, monster. He was, he was a monster. He was a killer. He yeah. was destroying everybody. He was destroying yeah. everybody. Um, those guys were obviously, and that that was a one-off. I knew I didn't have to fight him very often, mm-hmm. and usually I had a, a big tough guy kind of on on my team that would that would fight him. Um, but yeah, I did I did fight him once. I fought some big boys in the minors too, like Rocky Thompson, DJ King. Mm-hmm. Um, I went after, I went after, I was fighting everybody in the minors. Those, those are some fights that people don't even know about the fights that when you're, when you're, you're, you're messing around in the jungle. I, I led the league my first year in the, the yeah. AHL. I led, I led the league in fighting 34 fights. Mm-hmm. And, uh, so that's basically freaking every other game I was fighting. Um, yeah. but in the NHL, it's guys like those rivalry teams, right? Like when I was in Calgary, you know, Rick Rippin and Darcy Hordachuk, um, and then, you know, playing for New York, you, you know, you're fighting Lucic and, um, uh, you know, well, Jansen was in Jersey, right? Jansen, mm-hmm. those guys, uh, Bolton, um, and then Montreal, you know, you're fighting Chris Neal. And these guys, you're, you're matched up against those guys uh, yeah. every night. They're doing the same job as you. So you don't know when, uh, you don't know when it's coming. You don't know when they might be coming after you or you're, you know, you know when you might be going after them if the team needs to spark or, you know, if they're mm-hmm. running around, it's it's go time. So mm-hmm. um, Zenit Konopka was another guy when I played for the Rangers. He was playing for the Islanders. I probably fought him for I don't know how many times in my career. It got to be, <laughs> I'd say six times. Yeah, six, yeah, six, seven times. I don't know. Um, so those are the guys. You know, even if they might not be the number one heavyweight in the league, those are the guys you're battling against um, day in and day out, right? In that rival, in those rivalry series. So those were always the, those are always the ones that you know you, you know you got probably two a year at least with those guys, right? Two or three a year, who knows uh, how far it goes. And um, so those are, I would say were kind of my most memorable fights, you know, the most intense fights, the ones that kind of meant something that could change, um, change stuff around. But, you know, I had those one-offs with, uh, you know, those, those big heavyweights every once in a while as well. So, um, but yeah, I would say you know, obviously Steve McIntyre. My first year is my my probably my fourth NHL game, and uh, mm-hmm. Steve McIntyre just destroyed Dustin Boyd in the corner, <laughs> freaking almost killed him. Yeah, um, so I, I you know I had no choice. I was dropping my gloves and going after him. So, um, but it was a big fight for me. I remember Mike Keenan came and gave me a hug in the dressing room because I <laughs> I kind of hurt my arm or I hurt yeah. my arm kind of hold note I kind of strained my arms so I went to the dressing room to kind of ice and Mike Keenan came in and uh gave me a big give me a big hug so um yeah that was that was definitely a memorable one and one that kind of solidified my my spot on the team there when we're not talking about hockey on across the pond we're usually listening to music and after the number of hours our headphones spend on our sweaty ear holes they usually need a little bit of TLC Luckily, our buddy Brandon from Accessory House Global is there to help. 
If you're in need of replacement cables, ear pads, or heck, even a brand new carrying case, this is the one-stop shop you need to visit. Check them out on Instagram at TheRealAHG or visit their website at AccessoryHouseGlobal.com. You can even get a 20% discount on your first purchase by typing in ATP20. Tell them across the pond sent ya. Well, everyone has so much respect for guys like you and guys that drop the mitts. And, and the respect amongst fighters is something that a lot of people don't understand. And especially being over here in Asia, I people often ask me about hockey and how it can how you can be how, how can you love a sport that's so violent and you know people are fighting each other like people are trying to take people's heads off it's like but not all the time people are trying to take people's heads off you know they're trying to separate them from the puck or you know they're trying to pick up for a teammate or guys like you will you'll fight a guy and you'll tap him on the way to the to the box and be like good fight man like so it's kind of hard to explain that to people yeah, it's hard to explain that, you know, the guy that I fought, if I saw him after the game, he'd be the guy that I'd have a beer with and shoot 100%. the shit with, right? Yeah. The guy that uh, we just went to war. You have that mutual respect and you know you're doing it for the game. Um, you know, it's, it's, it is it's tough to explain to people, people that don't really understand the game. And yeah, um, um, yeah the game's changing a bit. It's not, uh, it's not too barbarian anymore yeah. um but yeah I, I feel you still need that policing in your game right so um i think it, it should be a part of the game all the time and people yeah. that don't understand it uh then tell them not to watch it yeah <laughs> that's a good answer uh, that was my next question do you think uh, teams these days still need to have an enforcer or two in their lineup to be successful um i, I think it's good to have someone with an edge and someone that will police um i think the 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 role of the enforcer is is slowly leaving you know you need to be able to play the game you need to yeah the teams need to be able to roll four lines um you know you need to be um you need to be good you be, need to be able to skate out there and and move the puck and um so that just tough guy role i think is 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 definitely leaving the game mm -hmm. it's pretty much gone from the game um so it's uh yeah but i i think you're always going to have the guy with the edge and they always want to have guys that can still can still throw them and still put some fear in the other teams to tell them not to screw around right i think that's even right. more important than having an enforcer because right you know it's like you know right brad marchand ryan reeves ryan reeves isn't really going to go after marchand marchand doesn't have to fight him but mm -hmm. you know max domi he's got to fight Max Domi. Right. So, yeah. um, you gotta have guys like that, um, uh, that are that, that size or, you know, they're not, you know, six, five, um, bullies, um, cause those, nobody really has to fight them anymore. Right. They can say, right. yeah, beat a butt. Um, so you need those guys that are kind of that, uh, middleweight, uh, and can still chuck them to put some fear into the, the other team to not, not screw around. Yeah, hundred percent. You mentioned a couple of guys there. So important for the Leafs to have. They've needed it for a long time, and bringing in guys like Domi and Bertuzzi, guys that just got you know to play the game the right way. In my opinion, yeah, um, yeah. I've asked this question quite a few times as well. I want to know your thoughts. Like I've been refing for a long time, and I I agree with the, the what you said about you, you need a guy guys that can police the game out there, guys that can put some fear into somebody so they don't cheap shot. What are your thoughts on the instigator rule? Um, yeah, 
Um, I never liked it, obviously, because um, <laughs> I got a few of them. Yeah. Um, so, yeah, I, I, I mean, I, I feel like they're gonna keep that obviously in because they're trying to make, they're trying to bring down fighting a bit. Mm-hmm. So it's, I think it's something that's gonna obviously stay. I don't, I don't really like it, um, but it's also not bad because you know what? If I body check somebody and make a really clean hit. If you want to come fight me, then you got to take a penalty for it, right? Yeah. So I don't mind it that way because, you know, I would even – sometimes it would be 3 nothing, and a guy would come to me and say, hey, do you want to fight? And I'd be like, dude, we're up 3 nothing. I can't fight you. But if you go hit somebody, I'm, I'll mm-hmm. come fight you, right? If you do something, I'll come fight you. Obviously, I'm not going to get an instigator because they're going to be ready for it. I just have to be like, look at them and they're going to want to fight. But mm-hmm. that's something that is, hey, if I want to fight you, if you if you make a clean body check, if you make a clean body check and I I, I want to police that and say, stop doing that, then, yeah. hey, you're going to have to take a, a two minute penalty um, yeah. and, then I, and then I'll fight you. So I don't mind it that way um, because sometimes I saw too much fighting going on like where you know guys would just make a, a nice clean body check guy yeah. head down across the middle hey step up um maybe he, he shouldn't have to fight every time he wants to hit somebody so um it's not a bad rule to have that instigator in there to say hey if you want to fight this guy i remember dion for up playing with dion it was like what's this guy gonna fight every game he's got he hits somebody every game you can't you yeah. can't fight every game so if you want to fight him then you gotta you gotta put your da- your team down to for two minutes, right? right? So I don't mind it. I don't mind it that way. Um, mm-hmm. There's kind of pros and cons of them, but um, it's it's not it's an okay it's an okay rule. Yeah, my problem with it as a referee, I just wish they could it could there could be a gray area there. I wish the referee could be able to make that decision because, like you said, there's there's often times where someone's just being an idiot after a clean hit, and then they just run after a guy for no reason. Um, hockey's a violent sport. And if you're c- cutting across the ice and you get hit with a nice hard hit, you just take it and uh, you yeah, shouldn't, yeah. and you should yeah. be penalized. You should get a penalty if you go after a guy, but there's other times where, you know, a guy gets elbowed in the face or like a, a slash or a yeah. spear or something really dirty. Yeah. And you're like, no, no, no. Yeah. I know it should be, you should be able to make that uh, judgment call. I think that should be a good thing. Refs, have to read the game right yeah. that's that's what makes that's what, you, that's what makes refs good right i can always tell i always knew a good ref because yeah he knew the situation in the game he knew it was a 2-1 game with five minutes left he's not going to call a freaking little tap hook yeah. at that point in the game down 200 feet from the other net or something mm-hmm. like that right like mm-hmm. um so it's got to be a ref's judgment call right so yeah um yeah that's, the other- that's something is that is that not really what refs do on an instigator is kind of make that uh, I don't think they have that ability anymore. It's just an automatic. Once you once you attack a guy who's not willing to fight, it's it's an automatic. And the other yeah. thing, like I just wish the onus could be on the referee because you got the best referees in the world ref in that sport, and they should be yeah. trust. They should be trusted to make that call. But the and the yeah. other one, the one that really pisses me off too, is is the puck over the glass. Um, and they, I know why they did it because guys were taking advantage, you know, tired bodies on the ice, killing a penalty, whatever it is, shooting it over the, over the glass. But there's so many times that it happens when it's so blatantly an accident 
There's yeah. no yeah. intention to delay the game. The puck's bouncing. It goes off a guy's yeah. stick. He hits it out of the air, for God's sake. Sometimes it's yeah. not even on the ice. Or like you're yeah. down a guy and the puck's bouncing. Now you're down five on three. It's just one of those yeah. things where I think there needs to be some trust in referees. And, and yeah. yeah, you're not always going to get it right. But it doesn't mean you have to yeah. punish them. Yeah. Yeah, that's not, that's not a bad, uh, bad call as well. Yeah, if it looks intentional. Um, or, you know, even if you're trying to shoot it off the top of the glass, you got to be careful yeah. if you miss it, then it's a penalty, right? It's like something yeah. like that. Um, if you're really trying to, uh, yeah, yeah, it's something that they could, uh, they could look into for sure. The only thing is, is you don't want to get that into, I hate how they kind of review a lot of things, especially like in the OHL when I'm at the Knights games, they, they review a lot and it slows the game yeah. right down. It yeah. just yeah. stops. So you don't want them having to go all right, let's take a look at this one and see if it was accidental or, you mm -hmm. know, because I, I'm I, one thing, another thing I'm starting to hate is all the reviewing, right? Yeah. I, you know, you love the review on some things, but especially in the OHL, like they sometimes are sitting there and they're reviewing a play for like five minutes. It's like yeah. half the crowd's sleeping now. They're playing like, <laughs> let's go, right? So yeah. that's another thing, right? I'm hating to, you know, you like the reviews, but. I don't know. Sometimes it's starting to slow the game down a little too much. Yeah. So I'll leave it at that. I mean, um, just a couple of ones that really bug me. I wanted to get your opinion on. Yeah. Um, so yeah. I want to move on to unfortunately, our our manpower, the two of us, we I don't think yeah. we're making any real changes. No. <laughs> I, I, I I spoke to Kerry uh, Frazier. I had him on the podcast and uh talked oh, about yeah. some of those things. And if he can't help me change that rule, then nobody can. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so uh, before we get to the end, uh, I want to talk to you a little bit about your foundation. I want to talk to you a little bit about um, mental health and sports, because I know you've been a guy who's fought his whole life. Um, how have you been able to like you seem you seem very um, healthy. Um, did you battle any issues like with depression and mental health based on concussions and things like that throughout your career? Um, I, you know, it's hard to, it's, it's hard because I think sometimes you're, can be in denial of, uh, any mental health issues. And, uh, you know, I've been, I'm one of those people that kind of like, uh, you know, one of those, Hey, I'm a man. I don't, yeah. I don't reach out to people if I have any issues, I battle through it myself. Right. I, I yeah. go, Hey, man up and man up and, and get through it or, or whatever, which is not always the right call. Um, but I, you know, I've been pretty fortunate on, I've had concussions, but I don't have a lot of lingering effects. You know, I, I don't, uh, I don't think I have many lingering effects. The hardest part for me was, um, was retirement and, and, and finding that purpose again. Right. So I think right. that's the hardest thing for an NHL player. You know, I wasn't depressed retiring from the game. I was very happy with my career and what I accomplished and I accomplished yeah. more than I ever dreamed that I could. Um, and I had, uh, you know, so it wasn't that it was, a, it was a change stepping away from the game, but it, it was, um, losing my purpose in life, basically. Mm. Right. I was always, it was always hockey. That, I was a hockey yeah. player. That was my purpose to, to try and help a team, to try and win a championship, to try and make fans get up off their seats. Um, and then when that's gone, the hardest thing, and, and, you know, I kind of realized that, um, because then COVID hit and you're sitting on your couch and yeah, I think that's the, the, the depression time for me was, was kind of 
after that retirement and you go from yeah. traveling the world, playing in the NHL, eating freaking sushi, and then you retire <laughs> and then COVID hits and you're sitting in your house for two years. And then, you know, now I'm happier than I'm, I'm back to kind of, I think the mental state that I was when I was playing now that I have this gym, um, it's a little more, I don't know. It's, it's hard to say it's a little more stressful because, you know, you're, you don't have that, uh, you know, you don't, I didn't just sign on a dotted line and I just got to yeah. perform to, and I'm going to get my money. It's, you know, it's more of a hustle, but I find, I, I find my, you know, I have a purpose again, um, training athletes and, and trying to make people better. And I think that's the biggest thing for me was, was finding that again, finding that purpose. Um, and I, you know, I, I feel my mental state is, is back to, back to good and back to kind of how I was, um, you know, in my best days. So, um, but it, I think that's, that was the hardest part for me was, um, kind of after, after retirement and, 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 um, you know, just, just with that change. And I think that's the, that's the biggest thing for every hockey player. And that's something that I would, I would love to, to kind of pass on that knowledge to the younger generation is just find a purpose as quick as you can. Um, don't mm -hmm. sit around for too long. Um, and uh so it's it's good i'm back up and, and running and, and and doing this gym and, and training so uh, mm -hmm. it's a lot of fun and i look forward to continuing to grow with it awesome thank you for sharing that and i know it's not easy to talk about stuff like that but it's like you said it's really important and i think it goes a long way so i'm happy that you're you've been able to get through that and and you're in a good spot um, your foundation, talk to me a little bit about that and some of the, uh, some of the things that you're doing to give back. Yeah, well, I have, um, Frosty for Kids is the, the foundation. Um, we raised a lot of money, uh, you know, since COVID happened, um, everything's kind of been put on, put on halt. It's kind of affected a, a lot of things. And, uh, but we, you know, we raised over a million dollars for children's, uh, you know, uh, children in need, uh, mostly here in London. Uh, we donate a lot to the children's hospital. We we've granted a lot to other children's um, charities um, in and around the city. So um, that was definitely something that's uh, a lot uh, was a lot of fun for me. It's something I'm very proud of, um, and hopefully we can kind of get it up and running uh, again someday. Sounds great, man. Um, I really do appreciate you giving me so much time. I do have a final segment called Overtime where I'm going to ask you 10 rapid fire questions. I ask everybody the same 10 questions. They're just generic. You got two choices. Give me the first one that comes to mind. How about that? Okay. Sounds good. All right. Here we go. Habs or Leafs? Habs. Lemieux or Gretzky? Gretzky. Probert or Domi? Probert. Wah or Brodeur? Wah. Or or Lidstrom? Or. Claude Lemieux or Brad Marchand? Claude. Iserman or Messier? Mess. Bowman or Burns? Burns. Ron or Don? Don. Shootout or no shootout? Uh, shootout. All right. Thank you so much. I got one final question just for you. You were awarded the Jacques Beauchamp Molson Award, uh, voted by the Montreal media as the team's unsung hero. As a Hab as a Habs fan, I couldn't agree more with that decision. You brought so much grit and and to a team that really needed it at the time. 
What did winning that award mean to you and and why was it important? Yeah, that was um, definitely a very cool award to get. And it's important because it's a fan voted award. Um, so to know that, uh, you know, you've won over the hearts of, um, you know, Habs Nation uh, is a pretty proud moment. And uh, yeah, something I'll never forget. So um yeah, it's definitely pretty cool. I think that's what makes it most memorable is uh, it's the fan voted award. And, uh, you know, I'll, I'll cherish that one as well for the rest of my life. Awesome, man. You certainly won me over. And uh, I hope uh, everyone listening uh, goes back and, and takes a look at your career because uh, it's really something special and really happy for you that you're doing well. And thank you for giving me so much time. Yeah, no problem. Thanks for having me. And uh and get some sleep over there. I'll, I'm going to go start my day. All right, buddy. That was Across the Pond, and that's a wrap. Thank you, thank you, thank you to our amazing sponsors, the China Hockey Group, Wheel Hub Asia, AccessoryHouseGlobal.com, Yardley Brothers Beer, and of course, Sunset Studio. Check us out on Facebook and Instagram at Across the Pond HK. Email us, send in your comments and questions to the show at any time at acrossthepondhk at gmail.com.